Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net. My whole life, I've been told this one story about my family, about how my great-great-grandmother was killed by the mafia back in Sicily. I was never sure if it was true, so I decided to find out. And even though my Uncle Jimmy told me I'd only be making the vendetta worse, I'm going to Sicily anyway. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Hey. Welcome back to Ridiculous Romance. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm Diana. Oops. Oh, well, no, no after you. <laughs> yeah, after me. <laughs> How about you introduce me? That's Eli. And this is my lovely wife, Diana. Oh, well, I didn't know you were going to do fun descriptors. Well, I did. I would have done something. Well, well this is you my shouldn't... handsome, darling husband, Eli. Thank How about you. that? That that's lovely. I don't know why you need me to prompt it just to use some nice adjectives. Well, oh, <laughs> getting a real peek behind Look, the veil today, everybody. You, <laughs> you have a very high self esteem, and I don't need to worry about you. <laughs> oh, is that what you think? Does <laughs> that explain the last few years? <laughs> In fact, I want to take you down a peg. Oh my God! You know I can't handle that. I'm very unstable. <laughs> Well, I know. That's why I'm not very mean to you. Well. Hey, <laughs> watch your mouth. Like I said, real peek behind the curtain. <laughs> I know, right? This is what it's like when the mics aren't on. <laughs> no, uh, we've been having a good time over here, haven't we? Yeah. Going out to a friend's birthday. Get to that age where birthday parties take place during the day. Yeah, they do. It's even just grown people with no children. <laughs> and it's still like, look, I'm good from 3 to 7 p.m. And that's about as much as you're going to get from me. <laughs> I told her, I was like, I, you know, I, I don't know if we'll be out too late because, you know, we've got a lot of work to do. And she's like, oh, I don't want to be out late. It's like, oh, yeah, we're all older now. Oh, it's so funny. Yeah. Actually, I like being out late. Yeah. If I can sleep in till noon, the day of and the day after a party, I could go late. 
No, I'm with that. Yeah. I'm with that. I and I stay it. up late at home all the time. I mean. It's just the idea of like full face of makeup, nice outfit until 2 a.m. It's no, not like that's we're not in, happening. Yeah, we ain't going to bed at 9 p.m. What are they calling it? Reven- revenge bedtime procrastination? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Where it's like you're not having enough um, free time or personal time or whatever right, during, during your day. day. Yeah. So you just like. Make yourself stay up, even if you're not even doing anything you want to do. Right. You're just like scrolling on your phone. I'll teach you, brain, for right. being busy all day. I'm going to ruin your night. <laughs> I mean, like, okay, that's only going to hurt you, but sure. Yeah, and it does. And it does. Well, speaking of revenge. Speaking of revenge, <laughs> for real. Today, we're talking about a good one. I'm very into this story. Oh, yeah. And it's a name we all know and love. <laughs> Ivan the Terrible. Oh, or Ivan the Fourth, the first Czar of Russia. But actually, Ivan the Terrible as a nickname, I learned is actually something of a mistranslation. Because oh. back in the 16th century, they called him Ivan Grozny, which does directly translate to the English word terrible. But at that time, it more accurately meant awe-inspiring or powerful or courageous, something oh. like that. Okay. But coincidentally, Ivan was also pretty terrible so you know so the name still works levels. yeah <laughs> but for a while ivan was actually a pretty great ruler mostly due to the loving relationship he had with his first wife anastasia romanov mm. not the anastasia romanov that you're thinking of right uh but go, let's dive into it let's go ahead and hear about the first of ivan's eight marriages uh his war with a dozen noble families a few poisonings a couple of fires and the first unified russia let's go hey there friends come listen well Eli and Diana got some stories to tell. There's no matchmaking or romantic tips. It's just about ridiculous relationships. A lover might be any type of person at all. An abstract concept or a concrete wall. But if there's a story worth a second glance, we'll put it in a show ridiculous romance. A production of iHeartRadio. So we start our story with Vasily Third, who had been ruling what was known as the Grand Duchy of Moscow, or Moscovy, for 20 years alongside his wife, Solomonia Saburova. And these two were doing a great job. I mean, this is 16th century Russia, early 1500s, a lot of uh, a lot of scattered kingdoms, mm-hmm. uh, not necessarily all united under one Russian banner yet. Territory under Vasily III and Solomonia was being expanded. They recaptured land which had been taken by neighboring countries a hundred years earlier, and all of their oppositions quickly getting shut down. They were just doing, you know, just what you're supposed to do. But 20 years in, he realized that he never got around to producing an heir. Whoopsie. Which, I mean, you know, we know in monarchies from this show, especially, <laughs> people don't like that so much. Not at all. They're like, make one or bring one or do something. Yes. However you got to do it. Kidnap one. <laughs> disguise one. a girl as a boy and call her a king. Whatever you got to <laughs> do. Whatever, whatever. Well, the old fashioned way of getting pregnant was not working for these two. So Solomonia tried the new fashioned way, which was going to consult with sorcerers and taking pilgrimages to holy sites. Vasily and Solomonia even appealed to God for a child by having a few churches built. Ah, yes. The 16th century version of IVF. (laughs) Building a church. Build a church. (laughs) Well, surprisingly, none of these things was working. And eventually, the Grand Prince's boyars, 
who were basically these like highly influential Russian nobles, told him, you know what, buddy, you gotta ditch this wife and get a new one because you need baby. You need baby. Well, the Russian Orthodox clergy did not like this. Um, they were always fighting with the boyars. Oh, right. And, I mean, they probably didn't like divorce like any church. Sure, sure. But Vasily III decided to go through with the divorce. And in November of 1525, their marriage was annulled and Solomonia was taken to a convent. Mm. Russian chronicles tend to say it was willingly, but other historians say it was forcefully. Ah, I have a hard time thinking that this woman is like, oh, my husband, the ruler of all the lands, is divorcing me. Sure, I'm happy to go to a convent instead. Right. I don't think I, I don't think willingly is, right. the, is the one. She was very religious, so she might have considered it her duty and like, okay, well, if okay. I can't produce a baby, God's telling me I gotta go do this instead. But mm. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> there was at least a part of her who was like, right. I don't wanna do this. Yeah. <laughs> well, she was eventually brought to the intercession monastery in Suzdol, which was one of the churches that she and Vasily had built to try to get pregnant in the first place. Oh. Kind of full circle, I guess. Right. Rumors persisted that she actually gave birth to a child while inside the monastery only months after their annulment. Whoops. And the rumor became the foundation for a Russian folk hero named Kudayar, who's oh. sort of like a Robin Hood type. Vasily III did marry again, this time to a princess named Elena Glinskaya. She was from a family of boyars named the Glinskys. But other boyars, who were the ones who encouraged him to remarry in the first place, did not like this choice because Elena and the Glinskys were Catholic, not Russian Orthodox. Man, every country in this period of time is having a real oh yeah, real problem with ca with Catholicism. Mm -hmm. But Vasily was obsessed with this girl so much so that he trimmed his beard when he went to see her so that he would look younger. Now, I mean, I don't know about you, but I I regularly do this myself. <laughs> you got to keep it high and tight. It takes a few <laughs> years off, you know. Hi, but uh, but apparently this was a huge no no in Muscovite customs. You got to your beard you shows your long. age. You got to grow it out. Yeah. Sure. Um, but none of this mattered because ultimately Vasily III and Elena Glinskaya did marry, and they had their first son, Ivan the Fourth, named for his grandfather Ivan the Great, who was the previous Grand Prince of Muscovy. Unfortunately. Vasily died only three years later from an infection shortly after the birth of their second son, Yuri. On his deathbed, Vasily transferred rulership of Muscovy to his son, Ivan IV, before his death in 1533. But of course, at only three years old, somebody was going to have to rule in Ivan's stead. So the next five years are referred to as the Reign of Elena. Ooh, I like it. I like that too. Reign of Elena. It sounds like a it sounds like a scent someone said. Try rain of Elena. It, sh it should be rain by Elena. Rain by Elena. Try rain by Elena. It's like Margot Robbie like running through a hallway with like a curtain. Mm. There's like soft filters everywhere. Rain. By Elena. Rain. By Elena. Anyway, I'm ready to buy it is what I'm saying. <laughs> it smells like the Russian countryside. Oh, wait. Now I don't know. <laughs> now I'm not so sure. Well, anyway, the reign of Elena was going on for the next five years, and Vasily's brothers tried to challenge Elena for her rule, but they both ended up locked up, mm -hmm. 
And Elena did a bomb-ass job ruling in Muscovy. She brought a currency reform that unified money across the state. She signed an armistice with longtime enemy Lithuania. Okay. She had new city walls built around Moscow. Nice. She protected travelers from bandits. And she paid to have Muscovite prisoners freed. But she also had a super high-drama government and might have been having a fling with both a boyar and an orthodox bishop. Oh, my God. Messy. For real. Those are like two sworn enemies. I know. And she would go from one to the other and just talk shit about the other guy. It's really like (laughs) um, we've been watching The Great a little bit. And that's, Uh of course, way later in time than this is happening. But you get the same kind of impression of just like there's high up nobles and there's high up priests and they are always scheming against each other in this world. They so are. Uh But Elena only ruled for five years before dying at 28 years old. Mm. Her son, Ivan's governess, was arrested and some historians think the Shuiskis, which is a family of boyars who seized power after her death, were behind the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Recent forensics have found supportive evidence that she was poisoned. Oh, man. This wasn't no natural death. No, no. And it's one of those situations where you're like, oh, this lady died. And then this family rushed in and was like, we'll be in charge. Mm -hmm. Okay. Hmm. Kind of suspicious that you've been, you just swept in. Right. Also, you had to be real careful with your food. Oh, I know. Drink back in the day. My God. Everybody was out to poison someone. (laughs) So now little Ivan, who was only eight years old, was being raised by the Boyar family who probably poisoned his mother. And they basically took over control of Muscovy to rule in his stead while he was a kid. And he later wrote letters about how poorly he and his little brother Yuri were treated by the Shuiski family, who, quote, brought us up like vagrants. I suffered for want of garments and food. But when Ivan was 13, he decided... He was going to be a real 13-year-old boy and start (laughs) testing the limits of his power over everyone. I mean, he was still technically the ruler of Muscovy, after all. His father had named him in charge. Mm -hmm. There was a feast in 1543 that saw some of the highest-ranking Muscovites in attendance. And just after the main course, this little teenage tyrant turned to a guy named Prince Andre, who was the most powerful of the Shuiski family and the guy who was effectively the de facto ruler of Moscow right now, and he just said, "Eh, you and your family, eh, you've completely mismanaged the country. Eh, Someone arrest him and execute him. Oh, my God. Just like that. And the guards stood up, and they were like, yes, sir, and they marched right over. They snatched up Prince Andrew and took him away. And according to History.com, some say that Prince Andre was then torn apart by dogs but the more credible history is just that his jailers beat him to death oh yeah so either way ivan stepping in and being like by the way i'm in charge now yeah Uh, well i guess he was like man y'all don't feed me and stuff but if i ask for something they do give it to me so (laughs) i guess i'll just keep asking at the end of the day the royal guard listens to me Mm -hmm. very good to know yeah well, after that, everyone was like, oh, okay, I guess Ivan's in charge now. <laughs> right. So excited about that. <laughs> Love that for you and me <laughs> and everyone. But in an effort to distract this hopped up, you know, little teenager, the boyars decided to just throw girls at him. Oh, sure. <laughs> like, what does a 13-year-old boy want? <laughs> Ladies. 
Now, in fact, the noble families were all trying to outperform each other by finding the best girls for him. Wow. And because of this, teenaged Ivan was rumored to take a different mistress every day for almost four years. Oh, my God. Can you imagine going back in time to 13-year-old Eli and being like, you're going to have a different girl every day? If 13-year-old Eli talked to one girl, <laughs> uh, well, it wasn't talking. Let's just say it was a stammering mess of syllables. <laughs> Well, yeah, but te- th- in this scenario, teenage <laughs> Eli is in charge of all of Muscovy. Yeah, I'm just, it's, it's hard to imagine that for the teenage <laughs> Eli I know, because he was barely in charge of all of his own bedroom. <laughs> chaos everywhere. Well, <laughs> so you would have sat and chatted with them, had like, I maybe not so much sex. <laughs> uh, no, I would have, the first girl would have come in and I would have said, hey, hi, <laughs> hi, good to meet you. I'm, what's your name? Your name's... Well, mine, I'm Eli, and oh, uh, you know what? You know what? I get. Is it hot in here? I'm just gonna get some water. I'll be, I'll be, I'll be Eli. Oh, oh shit! And then that would be. Then then I would never leave my room for the next four years. All right. Well, I guess Ivan was not like that. <laughs> no, Ivan and I. It's the a short list of differences between me and Ivan the Terrible, and I'd say and that's, that's just one. The first. <laughs> I know. Right? I guess. I guess if you had if you had ordered a man beat to death already, you might feel more confident. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, the boyars learned from all of this throwing ladies at him for four years that Ivan loved cheerful, lively, and passionate women. Which is like, who doesn't? I mean, come on. Oh, yeah. But historian Alexander Bushkov points out that, quote, from time immemorial in Russia, it was believed that true adulthood does not occur upon reaching a certain age, but only after marriage. A single person was considered to be not even quite full grown. Wow. So you could be like an 80 year old spinster (laughs) and they'd be like, look at that baby walking around. Child. (laughs) Just a child after all. So all the Boyar families also started scheming to try and be the ones who would find his wife. So after getting slapped around by the Boyars for most of his life and then distracted with women as they ruled in his stead, Ivan IV stepped up and it was time for him to take his place as the Grand Prince of Russia, just like his father, mm-hmm. on his 16th birthday in 1546. But look, Ivan, we've already seen, is unpredictable and he's volatile and he had been pushed around his mother had been assassinated he did not like these shwiskies and all these other boyars thinking that they were the ones who were really in charge right. so at his coronation he said hey the what i am not grand prince of russia i am the czar of all russia and this is the first time that russia had one supreme ruler in a czar and in this, he sent a symbolic message to everyone that, yes, I am supreme leader, not to be questioned. Mm. Now, the Orthodox Metropolitan or the bishop of the Orthodox Church, whose name was Macarius, who had also become one of Ivan's closest advisors, was just immediately like, yes, king, whatever you say, you do the thing. You're in charge now. Totally. And so the, the church was totally on his side. So at this point, the boyers have no other choice but to be like, uh, yeah, 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 cool. No doubt, no doubt, no doubt, no doubt. <laughs> Sounds pretty good. They're probably shitting themselves as they realized how they've been treating this kid who was going to be their leader one day. All right, which they should have thought. I mean, right. as I said, they should have thought about that from the beginning. I mean. Dumb. Well, now that he was 16 and the ruler of Russia, 
He really needed to get married. Number one classical royal problem. Now, the boyars had been searching all over other kingdoms for his bride. Uh But Ivan told them, I wish to marry a Russian bride. He says, I heard you can just send out for them in the mail. They just show up like Uber Eats. No problem. I can pick from colors of hair. I can pick from size. Where's the menu? Give me the catalog. Well, anyway, Metropolitan Macarius, the czar's number one brown noser, you know, in reference to him wanting to marry a Russian woman, said, quote, God himself inspired you with this intention. I bless it in the name of the Heavenly Father. <laughs> this guy's always just like, yes, I'm I'm your number one cheerleader. The church I mean, got you, boy. Total yes, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so only two weeks after his coronation, an invitation went out for all the hottest ladies in Russia to come and audition to be Tsar Ivan IV's bride. And every noble family in the Grand Duchy of Moscow was invited to submit their daughters for consideration. And in the end, as many as 1,500 girls showed up hoping to be Mrs. Ivan IV. That's crazy. It's like the world's first and biggest dating show. Oh, my God. What's it called? Ivan... Um, know, striving for Ivan. Striving. That's pretty good. <laughs> like, um, I was trying to think like a czar one, like, oh, yeah, like a like flavor of love, but like, right, czar version. czar of love would be the, the, the easy one, but maybe the bachelor, it's like the czar, the bachelor's art. No, don't go breaking my czar. T- oh, <laughs> oh, well, she said, <laughs> I mean, if, if you must, no, I must not. I like striving for Ivan. Striving for Ivan. Striving for Ivan, or or so you think you can marry the czar. <laughs> These fifteen hundred women are all striving for Ivan. <laughs> who will get the rose, <laughs> and who will be sent home? First up, Katerina. What's your favorite root vegetable? <laughs> A root vegetable. Katerina, huh? A leek. I'm sorry, we'll be moving on to Betanova. Betanova, what's your favorite root vegetable in Russia? I love a potato. Oh, it's okay. That's the number two answer. And finally, uh, another girl named Katarina. (laughs) What's your favorite famed root vegetable in Russia? A beet? There it is! (laughs) You win! That's, that's the answer we were waiting for. Oh, I, I thought you wanted my favorite, <laughs> not the right answer. I wanted Katarina's favorite. I wanted, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> well, I want to beat the competition. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> See which girl beats the competition Ooh. and which girls go Kremlin back to their families. No. <laughs> this show is going to be canceled. Real quick. Yeah, this show did not make it very far. <laughs> well, of course, you know, they got all these 1500 girls. They all, you know, hoping to get the rose at the end <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> and all the boyars were pushing their, you know, their girls for the usual reasons, right? Powerful unification of families, merging land, investing their dowries in royalty, all that stuff. But the eventual winner would surprise everyone. And we'll meet Ivan's first wife right after this break. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. 
all these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink. That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Striving for Ivan. <laughs> Striving for Ivan? That sounded like the Russian Tasmanian devil. Well, he's their main voiceover guy. So what do you want? <laughs> he does all the voiceover work. Here. So the invitation that went out to every noble family in Russia to bring their daughters out for this contest was not so much uh, an invitation as it was a direct order. <laughs> According to a Russian collection of histories that I found on a website called Sato One, the letter everyone got said, quote, When this letter of ours come to you, if you have daughters... 
then you would immediately go with them to the city for a review, and under no circumstances would you have these daughters concealed. Which one of you hides a daughter will be in great disgrace with the Tsar and face execution. Send the letter amongst yourselves without delaying even an hour. Jeez. Just very chain letter. Like I know, right? Send Forward the- this to seven people. <laughs> or get bad luck for the next ten or years. Get bad luck. So, 1,500 young women were brought to Moscow to be judged in what Alexander Bushkov calls, quote, the first all-Russian beauty contest. Sign me up. I know. I bet a lot of them are really hot. Uh, yeah, sign me up to compete, not to compete, but to, well, just to yeah, attend, just actually. To, yeah. yeah, just to attend. You yeah. don't even want to judge? Oh, I don't want to judge. I don't like judging women. I appreciate that about you. Yeah, but I'll watch a big line of pretty women walk past me. Of course. Sign me up for that. Who wouldn't? <laughs> Now, some of these ladies were pretty excited about this. Um, the prospect of marrying the czar must have sounded like a pretty sweet deal. Sure. I mean, especially if they didn't know anything about it. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> like, he could be anything in there. <laughs> but, of course, some of them were already in love with someone else, and they just had not gotten married yet. Oh, that would suck. Which kind of reminds me of Catherine Parr from our last episode. Oh, yeah, She yeah. was going to marry Thomas Seymour, and then King Henry's like, actually, I'd like to marry you. Yep. And she was like, well, I guess I got to marry the king. I mean, you can't say no. Mm-hmm. So these 1,500 girls were first brought before a team of governors who, like, whittled the stack down to a more smaller, manageable number. Oh. So it's like the pre-auditions for American Idol. Right, right. You're like, oh, I get to perform for Simon? No, 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 no. (laughs) Not yet. You gotta see if you're good TV first. Yep. (laughs) So now, about a large party's worth of the prettiest young women in Russia were brought before Ivan, and they all flirted and giggled and tried to get his attention. But there was one girl in the corner of the room who didn't say too much. That's right. Her name was Anastasia Romanovna Zakaryena Yureva. Too many names. It's a lot of names, but she's from a lot of families. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like we said, uh, this is not Anastasia. Uh, and in fact, the name Anastasia doesn't exist in Russia. I saw a lot of angry Russian YouTubers saying, it's not pronounced Anastasia. That's It's Anastasia. Oh. So that's what we'll go with, the proper pronunciation. Yeah. You're welcome, Russia. Well, this girl was about 17 years old, uh, so about the same age as Ivan, and her modesty at this party had already been ridiculed by the boyers and the other girls. She was just a little too modest, you know? Retiring, yeah, like she, too much of a wallflower. Yeah, yeah, she wasn't out there shaking her boobs for Ivan and hmm. trying to get to the front of the line. So all the boyers like, weren't impressed with this girl, and maybe it was Ivan's just total hatred of these guys <laughs> that made him cross the room and take this girl's hand. He had made his choice. And many sources say that her family was noble, but not particularly important. But historian L.E. Morozova said that she might even have been chosen because of her, quote, nobility and proximity to the Grand Duke's court. Her father had been an advisor of Ivan's grandfather, Ivan III, um, but He died before he could do very much, so he wasn't like, you know, a well-known guy. But her uncle was actually a very trusted advisor to Ivan's father, Vasily. He was even nicknamed the Eye of Vasily. So Ivan was probably pretty well acquainted with this family of Romanovs. Well, they married on February 3rd, 1547, officiated by who else but Metropolitan Macarius, Mm. who was probably like so excited. (laughs) And as Ivan was Russia's first czar, Anastasia became the first Russian czarina. 
She was famously beautiful at a young age with dark eyes and long, thick, dark blonde hair. But she was also a sweet, small, polite, affectionate girl. And everyone was kind of worried how this little sweetie was going to hold up married to Ivan, who was, you know, known to be pretty reactive, violent, and controlling. Yeah, sure. But remember, Ivan always liked cheerful, lively girls. And Anastasia actually brought out the best in Ivan IV. Russian histories say that, quote, Anastasia instructed and led him to all sorts of virtues. Wow. An English explorer and diplomat who spent much of his life in Russia wrote, quote, This queen was so wise, virtuous, pious, and influential that she was revered and loved by all subordinates. Ivan Vasilievich was young and quick-tempered, but she ruled him with amazing meekness and intelligence. Not bad. Pretty good, Anastasia. Well, Ivan and Anastasia were incredibly happy together, and they seemed to be deeply in love. But things got off to a rocky start for Ivan and his reign with the Great Fire of Moscow in the summer of 1547, just a few months after his coronation and their marriage. Mm. At this time, most of the city of Moscow was built out of wood, and when the fire broke out, nearly a third of the city was destroyed. Between two and 3,000 people died. And if you remember, the Shuiskis, that family of boyars who ruled while Ivan was a child, well, they're still around causing trouble, and they decided they were going to investigate the fire. And in their investigation, they found out that, oh my goodness, what do you know? Their sworn enemies, the Glinskis, started it. If you remember the Glinskis, that was Ivan's mother, Elena Glinskaya, Mm. who the Shwiskis had poisoned back in the day. Mm-mm. Well, her mother was still around, Anna Glinsky, and they claimed that she had used sorcery to start the fire. Because there was already this local folklore that she was like a witch who could transform into a bird, uh, according to the historian Yuri Bozen. Mm-hmm. So the Shwiskis suggested that she tore out human hearts, boiled them, and then turned into a bird and flew around the city uh, sprinkling this cursed blood water down on houses, which immediately erupted into flames. All right. I'm going to say something. Go ahead. This is obviously bullshit. <laughs> what? But it's also so metal. Like, <laughs> oh, my God. A freaking really cool. lady tearing out human hearts and boiling them and then, like, turning into a bird <laughs> and sprinkling blood water that turns into flames. Right? I mean, holy, that's a whole, like, that could be a whole metal music video. <laughs> Right there. And my response when the Shwiskis tell me this is, and you want to go after this woman? (laughs) And you want to. (laughs) I say we give her whatever she wants. (laughs) (laughs) I think I need to hire her. Yeah, right. Maybe rein these powers in for myself. (laughs) Well, instead of that, the Shwiskis got people all worked up. And soon an angry mob was storming around the city looking for Glinskis. Any Glinskis. And they found Yuri Glinsky hiding in a cathedral, dragged him out to the streets, and stoned him to death. Ugh. They raided Glinsky homes. They killed the Glinsky's serfs. According to Bushkov, the mob even killed random people that were suggested to be associated with the Glinskys without checking any of their identities. Oh, my God. That is so crazy. Be like, I think that guy was the Glinsky's bartender last night. Right. Like, Get like, him! Huh? The historian writes, quote, 
A mass of people is stupid. (laughs) And when the people are stupid, it is easy to control them, which is what the Shuiskis took advantage of. I didn't need a historian to tell me that. I I would get that embroidered. A mass of people is stupid. That's like the most real thing I've ever heard in my life. I love that. It's one of my favorite movie quotes in Men in Black. Yes, Tommy Lee Jones. A person is smart, but people people are are stupid. And, you know, it goes Mm on. Yep. And he ain't wrong. He ain't wrong. So then the mob turned towards Ivan's palace, where they knew his grandmother, the sorceress Anna Glinsky, (laughs) was hiding. Ivan is only 17 at this point. He's just crowned czar. He's never seen a huge mob of angry villagers with pitchforks before. This is a real unprecedented situation. Yeah, but Ivan did not hand over his grandmother to the angry mob. Now, Bozen says that Ivan was, quote, forced to give generous promises to pacify the protesters. And then the mob just kind of fizzled out over about a week. But Bushkov writes that Ivan wanted to set an example and, quote, ordered the instigators to be seized and immediately executed, and the crowd fled to their homes. He's saying Ivan learned from his early days with the Schwiskies that if you're timid, they will walk all over you. But when you show force, a lot of the times, they'll flinch. Hmm. Playwright and historian Edward Radzinski said Ivan IV was, quote, the true grandson of Ivan III. He already understood his people. A kingdom without a thunderstorm? like a horse without a bridle. Hmm. So you need this big thunderous person to come in and, you know, kind of put Keep you in your place. In yeah. yeah. Uh, I guess. Well, I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, the point is, Ivan was ready to be terrible. <laughs> he was like, one day this is going to be my whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> but in fact, his early years were not terrible, and many attribute that largely to his marriage with Anastasia. Their early rule was marked with peaceful reforms and modernizations. He formed the Zemsky Sabor, which was Russia's first parliament. He established a standing army called the Streltsy, and he unified religious rituals across the country. Oh, I was thinking about that. It's interesting to think when you've got a, a, a large country with churches, you know, hundreds of miles apart from each other. How do you know they're doing the same thing? Right. I guess that's a good point. Nobody ever came in and said, hey, mass goes like this, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess they all get trained, right, in some place. Yeah, yeah. But then you kind of go off on your own and, you know, just gradually it turns into your own thing, I guess. Well, that's why I always hated it when they were like, oh, the Bible used to be written, you know, in whatever language the common people did not speak. Oh, so yeah. So that they right. had to go to a priest to yeah. be told, like, what God's word was mm-hmm. or whatever. And so the priest could tell you anything. Yeah. They could literally be like, oh, yeah, this Bible says you have to sleep with me once a week uh-huh. or something. And they'd be like, well, I guess this is in the book, you know? <laughs> like, well, Ivan also took a look at the mess the Shuiskis had made after the fire. And, you know, he already hated these boyars plenty. Right. But this just, like, added to it. So he started working on reforms that curbed their power. Mm. He's like, I want you all to be able to do less, yeah. you know? So a special council was established called the Izbranaya Rada, which allowed lower class representatives to advise the czar on what was going on out in these streets. Oh, there you go. Which is pretty cool. I like the common man yeah. around him. Yeah. I'm sick of you rich Boots people telling me what's going on. <laughs> yeah, for <laughs> right? real. And I mean, mostly involved in the Izbranaya Rada was still pretty rich people. It wasn't the one percenters, but he was talking to the middle class now, at least. 
I was going to say, it yeah. must have been at least landowners. Like, yeah. probably not a lot of peasants. He actually, around. yeah, he did put some some laws into place that actually curbed peasants' abilities to, like, move around so much. Mm. Um, but in general, he was like, let me stop making this such a, you know, where only the rich people are allowed to have any say in things. Yeah, yeah. What What about the slightly less rich people? No one's thinking of them. <laughs> <laughs> Poor people, no one cares. But the slightly res- less rich people <laughs> right? should get more representation. Well, look, obviously Ivan is a complicated guy. And who knew that this little slice of Russian history would be so dense and dramatic? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. No one could guess that. <laughs> right? I always thought Russian history was supposed to be boring. So easy and simple. Well, we should, however, zero in on this marriage and the family that they started and the boatload of tragedy that followed so uh let's take a break and we will look at all that right after this this is neil strauss host of the tenderfoot tv true crime podcast to live and die in la i'm here to tell you about the new podcast i've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half it's called to die for here's a clip all these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. 
This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink. That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back, everyone. So Anastasia and Ivan IV, as we've said, are very much in love. There's just a really good relationship going on here. And while she was not directly involved in policy, she did help him keep a cool head. While Ivan was off czaring, Anastasia created this embroidery workshop, very famous. Uh, a lot of women came to work for her, like the best artists in town. And there's this uh, famed style of facial sewing that they do in 16th century Russia. And they would embroider these works that reflected state events or army victories under Ivan's rule and religious symbols as well. And quite a few of these works apparently are preserved in museums to this day. So if you're at a Russian art museum, keep an eye out for mm, some of Anastasia's embroidery. Yeah. yeah. But look, look, I know that we all want this happy couple to just sit around and stitch fancy art and bring down rich nobles and live happily ever after, right? Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, folks. This is a Russian story, if you haven't heard, so you know <laughs> it's going to be tragic. Oh, man. Yeah, sorry. Together, Ivan and Anastasia had six children. Mm. The first two were daughters, Anna and Maria, but each of them died at less than a year old, Ugh. which... As in many of our stories, it's just not that uncommon, especially in Russia at the time. Bushkov wrote that infant mortality was high throughout Europe and Asia at this time, with some women giving birth every year and often only one in four surviving. Right. Well, after this, they gave birth to a son, Dmitri, in 1552. The next spring, Ivan got terribly sick. And even he thought he would not make it. He's like, this is the end. And all the boyar infighting between the families meant that most of them had never liked Anastasia. And he knew that she would be in a lot of trouble if he died without an heir. Oh, yeah. So he asked the boyars to swear loyalty to the new infant son, Dimitri. Mm. And a lot of them were like, no. Damn. <laughs> Which is like, do you remember how he had that guy um, beat to death? I know, right? <laughs> I feel like I'm well, like, sure, whatever you Some say. of them straight up apparently saw how sick he was and was like, I'm not going to do anything you say because he'll be dead tomorrow. <gasps> oh, so he was already so powerless yeah. in their mind. Yep. Well, that yep. was stupid because maybe out of pure spite alone, Ivan made a full and miraculous recovery <laughs> and started ordering them executions, baby. Oh, he sure did. <laughs> like he promised <laughs> as, a, as a child, he's right. going to kill you if you say no. Oof. But sadly, tragedy struck again when the royal family took a pilgrimage to the Kurilo Belazyorsky Monastery up north. The whole expedition had to cross these makeshift gangways across the Svir River. And the baby Dimitri's nurse was holding him as two of Anastasia's relatives held the nurse's arms to sort of steady her as they crossed this makeshift bridge. But suddenly, the gangway collapsed, and all four of them were thrown into the river. And while the three adults made it safely out, tragically, the baby had drowned. Oh. Now, 
some historians have questioned how this makeshift bridge, this gangway, which was heavy and sturdy and used all the time and allowed the entire rest of the party to cross safely, suddenly flipped over while the czar's only infant heir was crossing. But, you know, no accusations at the time were really made. Uh, Obviously, huge tragedy, and Ivan was furious. Mm -hmm. But uh, no one was necessarily crying murder that we know of at the time. Ooh, but it's like a little conspiracy. Yeah, people are looking back at it and going, that's really weird that 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 happened like that. That is very strange, yes. Well, the next year, 1554, Anastasia gave birth to their fourth child, a son who they gave the name Ivan. And this one actually lived. Hey. For a while. Okay. Now, his story is tragic too, but he'll last at least until the next episode. Oh, so there we, we go. can All rest right. easy for yeah. a minute. And in 1556, another daughter named Yevdokia was born, but she only lived two years. Oh, awful. I mean, God, it must be just, you're just sad all the time. Yeah. Their sixth and final child was a son named Theodore, born in May of 1557, and he would live even longer than his older brother Ivan. So all in all, only two of Ivan and Anastasia's children lived past infancy. Wow. But by the time she had given birth to Theodore, Anastasia had fallen very ill. Some historians attribute this to her being, quote, weakened by frequent childbirth. But Bushkov wrote that, again, people were having babies constantly back then. Six kids in 10 years was, quote, even by the standards of the 16th century, below the average norm. Right. And and she's between 18 and 28 when she's having these babies. They're, it's not mm-hmm. like she was frail or right. anything like that. So, hmm. But she kept getting sicker and sicker. Then in 1560, another fire broke out in Moscow. Damn. This one wasn't quite as intense or deadly as the 1547 fire, but clouds of smoke were pouring into the palace and Anastasia was moved to a nearby village because of her health concerns. Historian Nikolai Karamzin wrote that Ivan stayed back and, quote, extinguished the fire himself. Being exposed to the greatest danger, he stood against the wind, showered with sparks, and with his fearlessness aroused such a zeal in noble officials that the boyars threw themselves into the flames, carried water, climbed roofs. Mm, Inspirational leader time. Yeah, the fire was extinguished, but the Tsarina's condition continued to worsen. On August 7th of 1560, Anastasia died quietly at 29 years old. Mm. They say that she died really peacefully and quietly in bed, almost embarrassed that she was drawing so much attention to herself. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Little sweetie. She was. She was the sweetest. Now, Ivan had called all the best doctors to care for her, but no one could save her. At her funeral, Ivan could barely walk behind her casket and had to be held up by his little brother Yuri and one of his cousins. He cried at her coffin and tore at his hair. The sight was so tragic that even many of the boyars started weeping as well. And Metropolitan Macarius burst into tears as her coffin was lowered into the grave. Karamzin wrote, quote, The common sorrow was never portrayed stronger. Not just one courtyard, but all of Moscow buried its first, most amiable queen. Everyone was crying, and the poor, the beggars, were the most inconsolable. Man. Yeah. 
That's so sad. And to see him like keening. Oh, my God. He was just a wreck, they said. Yeah. Mm. Really heartbreaking. I think all of his goodness was with her. You know, like everything that made him feel like a good person. Right. So maybe even just kind of not even consciously, but kind of mourning that part of yourself now that it doesn't exist anymore. Yep. Because I think he had a lot of rage and sadness already. Mm-hmm. And she quelled that. She made him feel at peace. And now I think he, yeah, like you said, maybe even subconsciously recognized, I'm going to be awful right. from now on. Nothing's going to make me happy anymore. I actually read something about that, about grief, where yeah. it's like you're not just grieving the person who's gone, but who you were with that yeah. person. Yeah. And that relationship that you Ugh. had with that person and all the special things about just the two of you. This is so true. Um, and I think that's really so special because it is like a part of yourself Mm -hmm. is gone Mm -hmm. yeah yeah who are we if not the our connections to other people in a lot of ways well all of the doctors that ivan called out also could not determine a cause of death Hmm. but ivan he didn't need them he knew what the cause of death was it was the same thing that happened to his mother anastasia was poisoned by the boyars He didn't even need evidence. He'd been locked in a battle with these families like the Schwiskis, and they never liked the idea of bowing to her family, the Romanovs. She had been growing sick for a while, gradually, just like his mother did when she died. Hmm. And after this, Ivan the Terrible started to earn his nickname. His wife, like we said, who had always cooled him, was gone. He was now angry, paranoid, and vengeful. Someone described him uh, coming out of his room a week later, and he just looked different. His eyes were sunken, his skin was yellow, and he was just had this scowl on his face. Mm-hmm. As Karamzin writes, quote, People did not yet know what Anastasia had taken with her to the grave. Here is the end of the happy days of Ivan and Russia, for he lost not only his wife, but also his virtue. Yeah. Dark days ahead. Right. Well, the question remains now, was she actually poisoned? Hmm. Or was this just Ivan's paranoia and resentment against the boyars? Right. He would look for any excuse. Yeah. Right. But he didn't. I mean, he just said he didn't need proof. (laughs) So I was like, well, maybe you should get proof. Well, in the year 2000, 440 years after her death, T.D. Panova, the head of the archaeological department at Moscow State Historical and Cultural Museum, led a study on Anastasia's remains. Together with forensic specialists, they found some pretty shocking results. So the best material to determine the accumulation of mercury in the body is the hair. And in Tsarina Anastasia's hair, they found mercury concentrations at 4.8% milligrams, which is over 10 times the toxic amount for humans. Wow. Even fragments of the stone sarcophagus she was buried in came up with mercury readings. Ooh, they had pumped her full of it. Full of that shit. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Now, some of the medicines at the time were also mercury-based, so it had been previously suggested that maybe she just accidentally overdosed like that, Mm -hmm. which has happened before. I've can't remember, but I feel like we've even mentioned that on this show before. Maybe so. Um, I do know that in cleaning out my grandfather's um, medicine cabinet, we yeah. found some medicine with mercury in it. Oh, good times. From like a million <laughs> years ago, whatever. And my cousin was like, 
why is this still here? (laughs) What is what we need to get? How do you even throw this away? How do you dispose of it safely, right? Oh, my God. It was the craziest shit I've ever seen. Well, and with these quantities that they were finding in Anastasia's body, modern scholars are basically totally certain that, yes, she was, in fact, poisoned. Now, unfortunately, we'll never know who specifically carried out this order, but we do know one thing. Tsar Ivan IV was right. Yeah. Yes, she was poisoned, and yes, he's going to do something about it. (laughs) Now, unfortunately, he also did not know exactly who did this, so his rage just kind of went in all directions. Mm. But he definitely was not having it with the boyers no more. Nope. In his life, he would take seven more brides. Now, none of those marriages lasted nearly as long as his and Anastasia's, and none of them were as passionate or loving. But the reign of Ivan the Terrible was just getting started, all triggered by the murder of not only his mother, but his most beloved wife. Now, obviously, there's so much to say about Ivan and Anastasia. It's been a full episode. We've been here nearly an hour now already. Mm -hmm. So... We got seven more wives to get to, and I think we'll get to them all in one episode. <laughs> I hope that we'll get to them all. These aren't quite so intense, but we will uh, come back next time with the rest of Ivan's marriages. Man. Yeah. Ivan straight up was like, I don't even need to do an investigation. Yeah. Y'all killed my I wife. I know. You weren't subtle about it. And now I'm like, well, who were the boyars who were crying at her funeral. Yeah. Well, there that that's that's kind of what's tough about it is there everybody's a boyar. There's like there're boyars all over the place. Boyar here, boyar there. <laughs> boyar boyar everywhere. But um the Schwiskies were, were the main ones that keep coming up in my research. Uh but there were a few other families whose names really popped up a lot. So there was probably some still that liked her. Right. Totally on her side. Um but the real power grabby ones yeah. these are the ones to look out for. Well, that's what I'm like. Were they crying, thinking like, oh, he's really going to just beat the shit out of me. <laughs> I'm going to get what torn apart by dogs. He's going to have his grandma sprinkle some blood flames on my oh, face. Oh, no. <laughs> or something. This might have been a bad idea, guys. Oh, no. Grandma Glinsky uh, uh, vanished from record, but she was not killed. She, They think she just kind of escaped somewhere and took another name and lived out her life just fine. Smart. Yeah. Very smart. Yeah. Or like a sorcerer, she just made herself disappear. <laughs> she turned into a bird and flew <laughs> she away. flew away. <laughs> to torment some other town, kidnapping <laughs> children and eating their hearts. <laughs> I was fascinated by this story. I didn't know nothing about Ivan the Terrible. No, me neither. I've never oh. heard of him, actually. You don't, uh, you don't know Ivan? I don't think so. I've heard the name, you know, just like Maybe the nickname I, itself. I, th- I feel like you you might be right, and I've I've heard it, right? Um, but I know there's like several, like Peter the Greats, for example, right? Or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so like there's, I'm like, well, I wonder which one I. <laughs> but it's really cool. I'm always love to spend time in Russia. I know, um, right? Because it, it's just such an interesting country. I feel, I feel, I just feel like it's so it's kind of alien in a lot of ways. Yeah, culturally. Yeah, you can tell there's this raw survival kind of mentality mm-hmm. behind everyone. Yeah. And we're in the cold. We're we're you know, resources are sparse. True. They had to they had to make it work and they had to and you know, they used that cold. They had that ice in their veins. It feels right. Like. Well and like the the quote about um needing a thunderstorm. Yeah. I think it's still still pretty true culturally there. And again, I'm not Russian, so happy to be corrected. But um you know like Putin's always running around like look at my I'm riding this horse and I'm really strong. You know, like there's this macho, yeah. there's a machismo 
to um the who they see as being powerful right, and influential right. that's very important sure. to that perception i think yep even Olga of Kiev had it. Remember her? That's right. She was she like, did. I'll be the thunderstorm. Oh, my God. She <laughs> locked Trust people me. up and buried them and burned them alive. I know. Speaking of birds that cause fires. <laughs> That's right. She tied uh, little flames to pigeons and they like flew into houses and lit them on fire. Right. That's, yeah. Yeah. She Wild. straight up did that. That's why I'm like, mm, I wonder if they I don't I don't remember when. I think that was way before this. So maybe they got that. Yes, story that was way before this. So the legend of Olga of Kiev. If uh, you haven't heard, we, we did her story in an earlier episode and it is awesome. So fun. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, amazing. Go check it out. Uh, but thanks for tuning in for this one. Yeah. Very excited to bring you the first of Ivan's eight wives. And like I said, we'll come back with, I'm pretty sure, all seven in the next episode. Yeah, we're, we're rushing to get that hey, episode done. Look at that. <laughs> you're welcome. Don't have a Moscow, man. <gasps> while you're waiting. I love it. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Um, tell us your Russia puns and give us your feedback on this episode or any episode or suggestions yeah. for new ones in the future. We would love to hear from you. You can email us at radicromance at gmail.com. That's right. Or we're on Instagram. I'm at Dynamite Boom. And I'm at Oh Great, it's Eli. And the show is at Riddick Romance. So please follow us along, drop us a review. Uh, we love hearing from you and we can't wait to bring you the next one. Love you. Bye. Bye-bye. So long, friends, it's time to go. Thanks for listening to our show. Tell your friends, neighbors, uncles, and aunts to listen to our show, Ridiculous Romance. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net. My whole life, I've been told this one story about my family, about how my great-great-grandmother was killed by the mafia back in Sicily. I was never sure if it was true, so I decided to find out. And even though my Uncle Jimmy told me I'd only be making the vendetta worse, I'm going to Sicily anyway. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.